All right, turn to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All right, have you all ever made a plan before? A plan to do something. All right, if you didn't know this, in less than five weeks, Lord willing, I'm going to have another son here in this world. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. I'm going to have another son, and I'm thankful for it. I told Brittany the other day, I looked at her, and I said, I'm really going to take these last five weeks in. And I told her that because Noble is an absolute blessing because he's, he has slept through the night for most of his life. I don't miss any sleep because of that guy. Like, we sometimes have to wake him up in the morning. And we know that's a blessing, and that's not normal. So I'm telling Brittany, we want to take in these last four to five weeks, because who knows, this baby may not want to sleep. But with Noble, what we did, and this doesn't always work, but we were thankful that it did end up working, was that we had, Brittany had done all of this studying and had a sleep training program for Noble ready when he was born. So when you think of sleep training, it's you want to make your baby predictable because babies, they cry. And when you, as a parent, you're going through, are they hungry? Do they got a dirty diaper? Do they need to sleep? Like what in the world are they crying for? So you try to make them as predictable as possible. And that's the biggest way to do that is to get them on a sleep schedule. So at six weeks, they are sleeping however many hours through the night and they need to take this many hours of sleep during the day and three to four hour time slots, whatever it is. We had that all planned out thanks to Brittany. And, I mean, week six, homeboy was out of our room sleeping through the night. It was amazing. We praise the Lord for that. Who knows about this second one? I tell you that because having a, we had this plan before Noble was even born. Before he even was born into this world, we had a plan for him. And the same thing with the Lord. The Lord has a plan for you. Even before you were born, he had a plan not only for your life, but he has a plan for creation and how we are to live this life. Walker, if you'll uh, hit that uh, title slide, we are about to jump into a wonderful series called Biblical Sexuality. What we're going to be talking about is God's design for our sexuality. Now, I'll just be frank with you. I did not wake up this morning roll over and look at Brittany and say, I am so excited to preach this message tonight. I'm excited for the next three weeks. This is going to be like my favorite thing I preach. This is not my favorite thing I'm going to preach. I don't get up and am so excited. But something Shane Pruitt has said is if the culture is screaming, the church cannot be silent. And we live in a world where the culture is screaming about sexuality and its views on it that don't align with Scripture. So my heart in the next three weeks is that we would walk through a three-step process, that we would look at God's design, we would look at how we distort it, and then we would look on the third week how we are to discern how to live this life in light of God's truth going towards other people, right? The end of this, the end of this series, the goal is not for you to have all this knowledge so you have your Bible ready just to smack people. Right? The goal is for you to be able to stand on God's word confidently, firmly, and move and love people at the same time and point them to the truth of God's word. Let's pray as we open God's word tonight. God, we thank you for your living and active word. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to, to proclaim your word. And Lord, I pray 
uh, in a, a serious topic, a not the most joyous topic, Lord, that you would, uh, you would speak wisdom to us from your word. Lord, that you would give us a heart for your, your design. You give us a heart for your authority and our submission to you. But, Lord, that we would see your heart in the way that you have planned our steps. And, Lord, I pray that we would be faithful in following the design you've laid out for us. Lord, give us grace. Give us truth. Encourage us to walk more faithfully with you tonight. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to have four points for you tonight. One more than the typical. The first point for you tonight is this. God and his word have ultimate authority. God and his word have ultimate authority. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. It is a famous passage. Uh, it is, a, is one that we should all know and all be able to refer to. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so the man of God may be equipped for good works. This is a foundational passage of scripture for us to see. It's a foundational verse for us to walk in our Christian life. Because when we see what it says in 2 Timothy 3, it says, all scripture is God-breathed, which means everything in this book is from the Lord, which gives it authority. If this was man's word, if this was man's wisdom, this would not be something that we follow and we, we conform our lives to. But we see that is all of Scripture is God-breathed. It's from him. That's where it gets authority. But where does the Lord get it, his authority? If, if God and his word have ultimate authority, where does he get that from? Well, if we look at Genesis 1, who created the world? God. God created the world. Thank you, Coulter. God created the world. So if we are his creation, if the world is his creation, who has authority over creation? God. Because he is the author. He is the maker. He is the creator. And what we need to understand when we approach this idea of biblical sexuality is many times you're going to listen to friends at school. You're going to think, see things on TikTok. You're going to see things on social media. You're going to hear from teachers, maybe from principals, ideas that do not line up with Scripture. And when you have that, uh, that collision of an, a worldly idea, worldly wisdom, and God's truth, and they're butting heads, which one wins? God's word. Why? Because it has all authority. This world does not have authority. Your wisdom does not have authority. The God, the maker of the universe, the creator of the world, the creator of you has all authority. If we are his creation, he guides us. He has designed us for a reason. We'll get that here in our next, uh, next point. But we need to see that God's word does not wither and change with the season. Guys, 10 years ago, I was a senior in high school. None of this transgender, none of these pronouns, none of the, all the sexuality stuff that's going on right now, none of that was on the radar 10 years ago. And now it's everything that's in your face, right? Everything about it is in your face now. 10 years, it changed that much. 20 years, it wasn't like this. 30 years, it wasn't like this. But God's word has stayed the same forever. And when we're getting tossed to and fro in the waves of culture, we can stand firm on God's word. His word is our source for truth. It's our source 
for wisdom. So it's important to understand this idea before we jump into more truths about it, that God has ultimate authority. But here's the thing, Gen Z, millennials, y'all are Gen Z, I'm a millennial. Our generations don't love authority, right? Some of you are like, I hate my teachers. I don't want to listen to my teachers. I don't want to listen to my parents. I don't want to listen to this person or that person. We don't do well with authority. So when we look at God, and a lot of this world looks at God, they say, well, he's just a guy with rules and regulations. That's all he cares about. But the thing that we need to see is, yes, God is all-powerful. He is all-consuming. He gets the say in how we live our lives because he created us. But we can't just look at God like he's some mean dictator. When you read the story of Scripture, that's not what you see God as. Yes, he's all-powerful. Yes, he's all-consuming. But he's also all-loving. Because what does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that while we were still sinning, God loved us so much he sent his son for us. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5.8 says while we are Sinning against him, Christ died for us. That God loved us so much that he sent his son on our behalf because we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, so we've been separated from him. That God loved us so much he sent his son to take our place on the cross. So that we may have everlasting life, but life now that is abundant, as he says in John 10.10. So when we look at God's authority, yes, uh, uh, he's got all authority, he's all-powerful, all-consuming, But we see he is a loving God that sees us each. He loves us all so much that he sent his son to die for us. So when we have this collision of worldly wisdom and God's truth, that we're not just saying, oh, well, we got to go with God's truth because he's God and he's all powerful. No, it's out of a delightful joy to submit to the Lord because he loves us so much and wants the best for us. And we're going to see his design here. But this first point is for us to understand that he is all-powerful and has all authority. So his word wins. But we look to him and submit to him joyfully because he has a love for us that changes our eternity. So we joyfully serve and joyfully submit to his authority. The second point is this. We are created by and in the image of God. We are created by and in the image of God. Of God. Genesis 1. So go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. Genesis 1. Turn there with me. In verse 26 and verse 27. God says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created him. So we are created by, we got that right in the first point, we are created by God because he created everything. But we're also created in his image. So we know that God created all things. He created the whales and the sharks and the crocodiles and the giraffes and the kangaroos and okapis and the, 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 I, I say okapi, noble loves hanging around with kangaroos and okapis. He created the squirrels and the dogs and the cats, and I don't know why, but he created cockroaches and gnats and mosquitoes too. He created all of those things. He is all-powerful, yet he uniquely created us in his image. I've gotten the, the, the pleasure and the joy to be able to go to a lot of beautiful places in this world, 
I've been to Haiti where the ocean is so blue right next to a mountain and been to the Rocky Mountains, been to Utah, been to California and Boston and seen all of these beautiful things. And one of the most beautiful sites I've been is up in the Rocky Mountains where you hike up, you got the snow on top of the mountains, you maybe got a mountain goat up top and you got this cool breeze. Y'all ever been hiking in, in the mountains before? You got a cool breeze, you got a light long sleeve on and you're sitting at a mountain lake. Mountain lakes are one of the most beautiful things you can see. And I'm sitting on a rock and you can see the trees that, are, that have fallen in the water and it's so clear you can see it and little chipmunks are trying to grab your PB&J as you're sitting there. And you're like feeling the cold air in your lungs and you're just saying, God, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. You may have experienced some aspect of that before. But get this. We may think those mountain lakes, we may think the, the, the valleys or even the Midwest or the South, wherever it is, we may think that's the most beautiful thing and the most grand creation God has ever done. But Scripture tells us different, that he has created all of those things, but humans uniquely he made in his image. We see that, verse 26, let us make man in our image. This is so important for us because many times, People struggle with their identity, and people struggle with their self-worth. They struggle with their self-worth, so they're going to different avenues and different vices to get self-worth, to get self-affirmation through. And for us, we need to understand that, yes, God has all authority, that he is an all-powerful, all-consuming, and all-loving God, but he loves us so uniquely that even though the lion is majestic, the giraffe is huge, he has created us in his image. So uniquely, we are created, which means we have a meaning and we have a purpose. If we are to be the image bearers of God to this world, we can't take that lightly. And if we are image bearers of God to this world, our life means something. Because God says it means something. Not because our friends or people at school, or our parents, anybody else, because God says we mean something, we truly mean something because we've been created in his image. You have people struggling with body shame. Well, I'm not athletic enough, or I'm not smart enough, or I'm not gifted enough, or talented enough. And we just look and compare with everyone, and we see we are not worth it. And when we get to that point, we begin to try to find our identity in different places. And what we've seen in this sexuality world as people have begun to go into different corners and different pockets to try to find their identity, hey, I don't fit in this group. Maybe I need to come over here and maybe I'm not supposed to be a boy. Maybe I'm supposed to be a girl. And you come over here and maybe that's my identity. Maybe I can find meaning there. And guys, when you keep going to all these places, you're not supposed to find your identity, your meaning, and your purpose. You're going to be continued to be dissatisfied with where you're at. We must understand that we have been uniquely made in the image of God. That God has chosen humans, male and female, to be his image bearers to this world. We must know and understand that we are uniquely created under God's authority, of, under his loving authority, with his uniquely love, unique love towards us. So the important thing to understand is that your sexuality is that God has created you in his image. You're, you're not finding your identity in your sexuality. You're finding your identity in who God has called you to be, and that's his unique creation in his image. 
The third point tonight is this. We are created either man or woman. We are created either man or woman. Genesis 2, 4 through 7. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were, the, when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. Verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man out of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. So we see man has not been created yet, so God creates him out of the dust. And breathes life into him. We're going to see that's Adam. Adam is created in this moment. But we also see it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. So in verse 21 of chapter 2. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, so she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. So we see from the very beginning, God's design, yes, he created all of these things of the world, the mountains, the zebras, the lions, the squirrels, the dogs. He creates man and woman. All of these creations, there were two kinds of humans, male and female. That's foundational things right there. Because obviously if you go on uh, social media, if you go on TikTok, if you see anything, you go to school, you're going to hear there's a million other different answers. The pronouns that are used here are he and she. He and she. We live in a world where there's, you know, people are using they and them, and then there's the neo-pronouns, they, them, theirs. I mean, I can't keep up with all of them. And I don't say that to make light of it. But I'm telling you, when, if we are going to go about biblical sexuality, what does the Bible say about our sexuality? It's male and female. It's he and she. It's foundational to what we know and what we understand. And this isn't just in Genesis, even though this is pre-fall. This is God's design from the beginning. You can look at Genesis 5 and he says male and female again. You see in Mark, in Mark chapter 10, you got Jesus... Uh, affirming back in Genesis that humans were created male and female. So we see this throughout Scripture that those are the two genders. Those are the two sexes that Scripture speaks of. There's no other gender or sex that is spoken of. A quote that I saw um, is this. Because we, we see this idea where our, our culture likes to separate sex and gender, Right? They like to say sex is biological and gender is a social construct. It is something that, and how you express yourself. Here's a quote for you. Sex is biological, gender is social construct is incorrect. This is the very lie that first served as the basis for gender ideology. Gender comes from the old French genre, meaning a kind or category. The word started being used for male and female in the 15th century and became more popular as the word sex became predominantly thought of as intercourse. Biological sex and gender were fundamentally interchangeable words and ideas until the feminists of the 1960s 
who began to use the word gender to refer to social norms that define men and women. So let me catch you up here. In the 15th century, gender was began, be, was began to be used, and it was interchangeable with sex. So gender and sex were the same thing, male, female. There was no other expression, no non-binary or binary. It was gender and sex. They meant the same thing until the 60s. Feminists began to use it to use to refer to social norms that define men and women. In 1968, a psychologist and pioneer of gender ideology began pushing for the separation of sex and gender, the former as biological, the latter as expression. And another lady uh, in the 70s and the 80s further pushed the separation of sex and gender. Uh, she said the sex-gender system is a set of arrangements by which the biological raw material of human sex and procreation is shaped by social intervention. Why do I tell you that long quote? It hasn't been until the last 60 years that people have been trying to manipulate what gender means. Because everyone's going to say, oh, well, my gender is this, therefore my pronouns are this. All the way from the beginning of the word gender being used, it referred to sex. So when, you, when people say, oh, well, sex and gender are two different things. Yeah, in the last 60 years in the way people have manipulated it. Again, like I'm saying, our culture t is tossed from wind and wave back and forth, and new things are being sprung up. But the word of the Lord stands forever. And back at the original, at creation, in the design, what was used? Male and female. He and she. It's important for us to understand this because we're going to get this into this in the next couple weeks. How do we respond to people, right? You guys go to school with students that identify as non-binary. You guys go to uh, school with students that identify as transgender. And, and the whole thing is, do we call them the pronouns? Do we affirm what they are doing? Guys, if we are living in submitted lives under the authority, the all-consuming, all-powerful, all-loving authority of our creator who created us uniquely in his image, we are called to live biblically which means we stand on his word. And when we affirm people's pronouns, when we affirm uh, the, the different ideologies of transgender and all of those things, we are accepting a non-biblical worldview. So in order to live in a biblical worldview, we do not affirm those things. Now that does not mean you go up to someone and say, hey, I'm not, I'm not calling you by your pronouns. I mean, what in the world? They, they wouldn't want to be your friend. Right? What's our, our pillars of the student ministry? Love God, love others, make disciples. Again, the end of the series, the goal is not for you to grab scripture now and be like, wham, hit you upside the head. It's to understand God's word so you can walk faithfully to the way God has called and designed. It's important that is uh, that our culture is making up terms and options that are not a part of God's design and simple biology. We must stand on God's word and design and not accept non-biblical world views. The last point. We are created with sexual desire that is fulfilled, that is within parameters. We are created with desire that is fulfilled within parameters. Go to the next two verses. Genesis 2, 24 and 25. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. 
One thing, when I, when I was growing up, my youth pastor talked about sex maybe once or twice. And that was a big thing, you know, that they would do once a semester, probably in February, would have a dating series and would talk about sex. And when I was growing up, sex was always a bad thing. You don't need to be having sex. Sex is bad. Sex is a sin, blah, 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 blah. And that taints people's view of what sex is. Because the fact of the matter is, we're born with a desire, with a sexual desire. Okay, now you guys are like, oh, no, he's, oh, this is weird. He's starting to talk about this. Guys, puberty, right? We're, you, you've gone through it or you're going through it. Puberty is a natural process of life. Yeah, let's get the giggles out. That is, that, that, I don't need to say it again. But you begin to, to create these feelings and your body begins to change to start noticing people of the other sex. And that is a good and natural thing. Sex is a good gift from God. Sex is a good gift from God within the boundaries in which God has designed. Sex is a good gift within the boundaries God has designed. What are those boundaries that God has designed? Genesis 2, 24 and 25. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The boundaries in which God has designed sex to be a good thing the box, the boundaries, is marriage. Guys, we all have these desires. They are not bad. But here's the thing. A lot of us in middle school and high school, even college, people begin to have these desires, and they begin to, to seek to fulfill those desires. Right? So you got boyfriends and girlfriends starting to sleep around with each other and start messing around. You got boys and girls starting to watch pornography and trying to satisfy themselves. You got people sending pictures over phones to gratify one's sexual desire. I can keep going on and on. We as people, teenagers, we seek to try to fulfill those desires outside of the boundaries of marriage. And God calls that a sin. Sexual desire is good within the boundaries of of marriage. So that's important to know. We can have all the heterosexual sin, right? Pornography, messing around with your boyfriend and girlfriend, premarital sex. For married people, adultery, right? Those are all things, but we also have this other side, homosexuality, transgenderism, right? Sending photos over social media or over Snapchat or whatever uh, app that there is now. God has designed the good gift of sex to be within marriage. Why? Sex is supposed to be a picture of your wedding vows. Because sex, a lot of people think, is just a physical act. Sex is a physical, emotional, and spiritual act. Because it is designed to be with your husband or wife. You are giving yourself sacrificially to the other. Because here's another thing. Sexual desire is never meant for yourself. That's the beauty of the marriage, right? It's for the other person. You're serving the other person. But most of the time when you're a teenager, you're going through, you're wanting to pursue that sexual desire. It's always selfish. Again, that's sin. It's sin in the marriage when you're trying to, to have that sexual desire fulfilled selfishly. Some of you guys are still squirming right now. Sex is a good gift. Sexual desire is a good thing within the boundaries of marriage. 
That is God's design for us. It is God's design for us to look at him as an all-powerful, all-consuming, all-loving authority figure in our life. He is Lord of our life. He has created us uniquely in his image. That we are not like every other creation. We are the prized possession of creation because we are in his image. We see that God created us male or female. Those are the only two options. And he has also created us with sexual desire. So when you are beginning to feel that, you don't have to be ashamed of that. But God has called us to be in self-control. And wait until marriage to seek those things out to serve our partner. Because it is a picture of our wedding vows. It is designed for man and woman to leave their families to get married and to consummate the marriage. It's God honoring. It's a gift. Why is that important for us to understand with biblical sexuality? We are all created with this desire and the culture shows us many ways to try to fulfill it. Right? Our culture says, hey, you got a feeling? Go seek Go try to find a way. Look at the pornography industry. I mean, you got some messed up things happening in the pornography industry. The whole thing's jacked up. And they're making up so much money and putting people deeper and deeper into addiction and sin. Look at any way that people are trying to fulfill that sexual desire outside of the marriage. And you're going to find corruption. You're going to find emptiness and dissatisfaction. He has called us to be holy. And we're gonna, next week we're going to get into some more details of why God cares so much about our holiness in our sexuality. God has this design. Why does he have this design for us? Why should we submit to this design? He created everything. He has all wisdom. You may be struggling right now. You may have some of these desires, whether heterosexually, homosexually. You may have some sexual sin in your life right now. The beautiful thing is that God has grace for you, right? He's a loving father that sent his son to die in your place, in my place, that we can look to him and say, Lord, I need you. I need to rely on your wisdom. And when his word goes against our culture, we must submit to his word, even when we might not like it, even when we might disagree with it. His word has authority over us. And that's so important to understand that he has authority, but he loves and seeks us out. He's a good, good father. As the band comes up, I'm excited in a way just to equip you in this series. This isn't a a series where you're going to walk away and be like, man, I feel so good about the message tonight. I can't wait to tell my parents about this. Some of you are like, do my parents know about this? Do Do we have to talk about this with my parents? I want you to know this, if you are struggling right now, God is bigger than your sin, God is bigger than your doubt. This isn't a a series to bash you upside the head with the Bible. This is a series to show you what God's word says, for you to wrestle with it, and ultimately that you would put yourselves under God's word, under his authority, so that as Dr. Ross said on Sunday, that we may glorify him with, with our life and everything we do. So if you don't know Jesus tonight and you've just heard Christians are terrible people, all about rules, all about hating uh, the LGBT community, I promise you that is not what is true. We are called to love God, love others, and make disciples and stand on his word. And by the end of the series, I hope you know his word 
I hope you know how to walk faithfully in his word and that we would reach many for the gospel. Let me pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for, uh, though this may not be the most joyful or fun topic, Lord, I pray that we would wrestle through this. That, Lord, we would see that you are an all-powerful, all-consuming, all-loving God that we should be in awe of. And that we should be in awe of that he loved us so much that he made us in his image. And he loved us so much that while we were still sinning against him, he sent his son to die for us. Lord, I pray that we would stand on your word, but we would stand on your word with outward eyes to, to reach the lost. And Lord, in this time, in this time where we sing and we glorify your name, we exalt you, we worship you personally. I pray that if there are people in this room tonight that need to talk, we got leaders in the back. If, if the students in this room need, tonight need to, to group up and pray for one another, to pray for a friend, that they would come to the truth of God's word, that you would give them grace and favor to speak into someone's life. Lord, I pray that you would move each person in this room. And Lord, those that don't know you, I pray that they would see the goodness of your authority. They would see the goodness of your creation and that you are the creator. God, I pray that those that don't know you tonight would come to know you, knowing that Jesus took our place on the cross. Lord, may you be honored and glorified and magnified as we sing your praises. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you stand and sing?